0: Well, please take up God's word. Let's turn together uh, in, in the Bible to Psalm and Psalm sixty-two. Psalm sixty-two. To the chief musician, to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. Truly, my soul silently waits for god from him comes my salvation he only is my rock and my salvation he is my defense i shall not be greatly moved how long will you attack a man you shall be slain all of you like a leaning wall And a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth. But they curse inwardly. My soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are a vapour. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed in the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapour. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice, I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. Amen. And may the Lord bless that reading of his word to us this evening Mark chapter 4, reading from verse 30. Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes great, becomes greater than all the herbs, and shoots out large branches, so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with, with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. On the same day, when evening and car had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, please take up your Bibles. Turn with me back in God's Word to the Book of Psalms and Psalm sixty-two. Psalm sixty-two. Uh, we are our, our passage for this evening. And as we as we look into these things, as we uh, uh, as we discover what the Lord has to say to us tonight. Uh, Let's begin uh, by asking for his help in that. Let's pray. Father, grant us, we pray, insight into your word. Illuminate the page before us. Uh, Bless us through your word and build us up for glory, for praise. And in the name of Jesus Christ we ask. Amen. In life, one of the things that we can be certain of experiencing is trouble. Now, there's an old adage, isn't there, that the only things in life that are certain are death and taxes. Well, I would add to that, that trouble is also a certainty. Storms come upon us, seemingly sometimes out of nowhere, and we find ourselves being overwhelmed, swamped, drowning in a sea of difficulty Maybe it might be the grief at the death, the loss of a loved one. It might be the shock of a, an unexpected, serious medical diagnosis. It might be a sudden loss of income or employment. It could be the the onslaught of of temptation to sin. These things can make us feel like we're drowning in trouble. It could be the pressure that's mounting upon us to to bow to the ways of the world in, in some way, to reject the teaching of God's word and to follow the world. It could be... A, a persecution, it could be pain, it could be sorrow it could be fear, oppression depression misery all of these things can come upon us and I'm sure as I look around this evening that we've all experienced something of at least some of these if not all of them in our lives times when we feel like we're sinking down into the darkness, down into the depths. And we know that being Christians doesn't exempt us from the storms of life. Following Jesus doesn't mean that we're protected from all these troubles. Indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ himself experienced great Trials in his own life, great sorrows, great persecution, even unto death. And so can his followers expect to to know anything different? We may not be protected from the storms of life. But there is great comfort for the believer in knowing that the promises of God hold us fast. Even through the storms, right through the storms, all the way through the storms to the end. Now he may or may not, in his grace and his mercy and in his wisdom, calm each storm that we encounter. But he can and he will calm our hearts and quieten our hearts in the midst of it. And so when we feel threatened, when we feel like we're about to be swallowed up by the waves and the current is dragging us further and further away from safety, When the tempest seems to be all around, it's good to be reminded of the promises of God. And that's what Psalm 62 is about. David, we don't know when he wrote this, but he faced many storms in his life. He faced much trouble and he writes about that. It seems that he's experiencing some kind of assault from one of his enemies. Something that threatens to drag him down and drown him. But unlike Jesus' disciples in the boat in Mark chapter 4, David here demonstrates a model of quiet, confident faith. And so herein lies the key to the Christian's calmness in a crisis. Waiting for God. It's something to hang on to. That whether you're facing trials or temptations, whether you're facing tribulations or assaults against your your body uh, or your soul or your reputation... You might be encouraged to stand fast in the midst of that storm. This psalm splits well into to three sections uh, of four verses each one to four, five to eight, and nine to twelve. Uh, and in each one, there's a clear message which stands out. There's a contrast given here between God. And man, ourselves, as the object of our trust, the object of our faith. Because having faith in the midst of a storm isn't about having uh, confidence in ourselves, it's not about a strength of character, it's not about believing in yourself, or even believing in the hope that the storm will soon come to an end. But it's in the quiet confidence and calm resignation to wait for God. To wait on the Lord in whom alone we should put our trust. For he is our rock, our salvation, our strength, our defence, our refuge, our glory. And so let's see this evening, what this psalm has to teach us about these things. The first of all, the the first section, verses 1 to 4, I want to look at under the heading of quiet stability. Quiet stability. And the psalm begins with silence, which is quite odd for a psalm, isn't it? Truly my soul silently waits for God. A silence of the soul towards the Lord. Many times, when we read the Psalms, we find they begin either with joy or rejoicing at something the Lord has done, or sometimes, in considering the the subject of this Psalm, they might be they might begin with a cry of despair or a call for help, a plea for forgiveness. Or even a heartfelt complaint about why God has brought the writer to such trouble. These are the kind of things we find at the beginning of the psalm. Not silence. Silence is a, is a strange thing to find at the beginning of a psalm. Now there's, there's a time and a place for crying out to the Lord, isn't there? with all of our soul, and with all of our heart, to cry out to him for forgiveness, for help. There's even a time to cry out to him, asking him why. Not understanding what the Lord is doing. We, we see that time and again in the Psalms. But sometimes there is a time to be silent before God to wait silently before him sometimes we need to keep our mouths shut before God so that we don't say something we might regret the writer of psalm 73 has this issue you now he's been brought to such a difficult place that he's he's fearful uh, of giving voice to to what he's thinking lest he sin against the Lord and that, even that very thing becomes the that very thought, that very principle becomes a foothold for him in his recovery. Psalm 39 verse 1 says, I, the psalm begins with this, I said, I will guide my ways lest I sing with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. But this is a different kind of silence. This is a silence of quiet dependence and trust in the strength and the salvation of God. This is a submission to his sovereignty. It's a suppression of every voice of complaints that we might bring against him. It is a confident declaration, a silent declaration, if you like, of the psalmist's faith in God alone. His settled determination to rest and wait in the promises of God. And thereby, knowing the strength to stand. Last Sunday evening, we were in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, and we were thinking about the armor of God and how all of those pieces of armor that are described there righteousness, uh, the word of God, the spirit of God all of those things those, uh, that we need to, to put on as Christians that they all come to us not by our own hands but they are forged by the Lord Himself. And therefore we're encouraged to take up the whole armour of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, Ephesians 6 verse 13. Here is another expression of what it is to stand in faith in the Lord's. In contrast to the immovable writer of this psalm, the one who will not be greatly moved, verse 2, verses 3 and 4 describe his enemies. They seem to be persistent, but ultimately they will fall because they are unstable. Like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. The enemy that comes against David here is two-faced. On one hand giving honour, speaking blessings. But secretly cursing. The Lord Jesus faced many enemies like this, didn't he? Those he accused of hypocrisy like this. Religious types who outwardly honoured God but whose hearts in reality were far from him. Because it's very easy to honour God on Sundays when we come together in corporate worship and prayer and praise and then on Monday to forget all about it and disrespect him in our lifestyle, in our, in our words, in our conversation, in our choices. That's the way of the enemies of God's. And not the way of his children. The world increasingly seems to show a contempt for the gospel. For the Lord himself and for his people. And so we're going to increasingly in the coming years. I'm certain of it. Find ourselves under more and more pressure in the public sphere. Even... In parts of what we might consider the church itself, there is trouble, is there not? Trial and difficulty for those who would seek to hold to the truth of God's word. Full of deceit, the enemies of Christ would seek to cast him and his word and his people, you, down. But it is they who will stumble in the end. And Christ who will indeed be vindicated. And so with these thoughts David is able to say truly my soul waits silently for God. From him comes my salvation. The the quietness the stability of such a God it's not David's alone but it is yours it is mine if we know the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus was astounded wasn't he when the disciples woke him up in the boat in their panicked states? did they not realise who they had in the boat with them Did they not realise the strength of the rock of ages was with them? We have a tendency to forget sometimes, especially in the midst of a storm, that the rock of ages is the rock on which we stand. And when we do remember it, and we must remember it, there is quiet trust, and silently waiting for the Lord's. To counter the the strokes of the enemy that are coming against him. Um, To counter the fear of the, the raging storm that's going on. David returns to his opening words in verse 5. My soul waits silently for God alone, he says. He encourages himself in that same quiet and patient trust. The refrain and the the strengthening of that phrase as as it's repeated there, as David addresses himself, his own soul, emphasises the... The great and blessed assurance of the true believer. David confesses once again that his salvation, his glory, his rock, and his refuge is in God and in God alone. And he wants us to know. He wants you to know the encouragement of that faith which finds its object outside of yourself, outside of himself, in God alone. For the Lord is a rock, a rock that cannot be moved. Though all the storms of this world and hell batter against it. He remains steadfast. And if we are found in him. We can remain steadfast. David grounded on that rock. Declares that he will not be moved. He says in verse 1. Back in verse 1. That his salvation is from God's. Now he tells us that. That's. He only, he alone is my rock and my salvation. Not only is salvation from the Lord, but he is your salvation. For his deliverance from this and every storm, from sin and death itself, David looks to God. For he knows that nobody else can save like our God. Nobody delivers like he does. And so in this second section, we we see that trust that David expresses in the first few verses as an encouragement to us. David didn't want to keep it to himself. He wanted to spread it around. He starts verse 5 by talking to himself. My soul waits silently for God alone. It's encouragement to himself. But then he goes on and he wants to tell us more about this. He wants to tell us about the God who is his rock. The God who is his salvation. The God who is David's refuge and defence. The one whom he calls upon us in verse 8 to trust. Trust in him at all times you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Are you trusting in God this evening? Are you trusting him in every way for all things? Do you look to Christ in your trouble? In your grief? In your sorrow? In your pain? Do you look to him in oppression and persecution? Do you look to him in your fear? In your worries? Are you trusting him? Do you pour out your heart to him? Do you confess with, with meekness and with poorness of spirit, as we were considering this morning? Do you grieve over your sin before our gods? The Psalms have a wonderful way of bringing these things out because they are written by people who, who like, like us, struggled. Struggled in faith. Struggled in life. Found things difficult. But they were written as well by people who trusted in God. Think of Psalm 51 we read this morning. That great Psalm of David. When his sin was laid out before him, The grief, the sorrow, the pain that he poured out before God over his sin. How often do we do that? How often are we so sorrowful for our sin, so moved by our failure that we pour out our hearts like David did to God? And we may not all be poets like he was. But how often does your heart does your heart burn in such a way over your own sin? It's easy sometimes to just come to the Lord in times of difficulty, isn't it? And we need to do that. We need to come to him when we're we're struggling with something, when we're overwhelmed with something, when we're drowning in sorrow and difficulty. We need to come to him. here is a, a mature belief, a mature faith. Which instead of crying out, Why Lord? Why? Why me? Why are you doing this to me? Why have you sent this upon me? Help me Lord, help me. The same trust, maybe a deeper trust, a deeper faith is expressed. In silence, in quietness, trust him, trust him. David's sound advice continues into the final part of this psalm, and in this final part, verses 9 to 12. David gives us three points to remember. The first of that is not to trust in others. Verse 9 Surely men of low degree are a vapor, men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed in the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. People are fragile, people are unreliable. People are broken and difficult. I know I am. Those with power and influence, those with wealth, and those without. All are a vapour, all are a breath, all are a lie. There is no substance, no weight to human boasting. For when all of our accomplishments, all of our strivings, all of our work, all of our trying, the very best that we can be, the very best that we can offer, when it's weighed in the scales, there's nothing there. It is a vapour. And like the writer of Ecclesiastes, he uses that very same words. David here comes to the conclusion that even putting all of this together, everything that we are, men of low degree, men of high degree, everybody all together, lighter than vapor, lighter than air. James chapter 4 and verse 14. James writes, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. But when you're in a storm, when you're in the midst of trouble and difficulty, you need an anchor to hold you fast. You know, back in the summer uh, I remember on the beach when we were away uh, flying a kite with Henry on the beach you know it's a light little thing just a bit of plastic and uh, a few plastic sticks and a, and a sheet on it and the wind just takes it and it's being pulled by the wind and the higher it goes the the harder it gets to hold on to it and Henry and me we were stood there we were holding it together There was a bit of weight in the bottom of it. We needed the weight to hold it down. But if there's no weight to man, where's our anchor? What's going to hold us steady in the storm? Because if you haven't got that anchor to drop, you're just going to be blown around. Blown against the rocks. Blown out to sea. We need an anchor to hold us fast. Don't trust in others. Second thing that that David says here is don't trust in yourself. Look at verse 10. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. See, the ways of this world are in oppression and robbery. One people, one person goes without so that another can rest in luxury. One person takes, another person loses. And by this practice, we may seek to ensure ourselves against the storm. To build up wealth and possessions so that we can lean on our own resources to get by when the problems do arise. But David's warning is not to set our hearts on such things. Not to live in that way. Not to live in the way of the world. That's the way of David's enemies. That's the way of the enemies of Christ. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in the riches that you manage to accumulate. Don't trust in your own resources to get by. Where should we trust? Thirdly, trust in the power and the mercy, the love of God. And these final two verses, verse 11 and 12, are very much like some of the wisdom writings we find in the Bible, in, uh, uh, in Proverbs and in, in other places. We get this formula of graded numerical statements. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this. It's a means of emphasis to bring our attention. You know, this is something important that we need to pay attention to. This is the key to the whole thing. This is the key to that silent trust. That patient faith. Because here come the words from God. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. Two characteristics that belong to our God power and mercy, or in some translations, steadfast love. Power picks up on some of the things that have already been said. David's described God as a rock, he's described him as his strength. That's about power, isn't it? You need power in a storm. As much as you need weight to keep you safe, you need power. And power is God's. He is our rock. He is our strength. Mercy or steadfast love is connected with God as a refuge and salvation. For we need his mercy. Without his mercy, without his love, there is no refuge, there is no salvation because we have no part in him. But because of his mercy, because of his steadfast love that he has shown to us in Jesus Christ, by faith in him, we stand on the rock. And so these two things, the the power of God uh, and the mercy or the steadfast love of God come together for the purposes of the last line. David says, for you, God render to each one according to his work. This is for the comfort and the encouragement of those who put their trust in the Lord. For the Lord knows that all of our strivings and all of our work is not enough. It will not keep us from the storms of life and it will not keep us from the storm in death. But his power and his mercy will. And so he, our rock and our strength, our refuge and our salvation has provided for us in Christ. And in him alone we can find what we need to stand in the storm. And to stand righteous in the sight of our God's. The power of God and the love of God come together. For his power is loving and his love is powerful. And that means that he is willing and able to bless those who, like David, humbly trust him and punish those who, like David's oppressors, are intent in fighting against God and his anointed. in life it's not when storms or sorry it's not if storms of varying kinds will come upon us it's when isn't it we know that by sad and hard experience we know that if we are not in the storm at the moment there is a storm coming and such storms can cause Christians to doubt just like the disciples In Mark 4. Though God does not stop the storms from coming on us. He does not always stop the breakers from breaking over our heads. He is a God who is present with us in the storm. Will you believe that Jesus Christ is is able to deal with the storm and to dwell with you in the storm because whatever the storm of life that comes upon you whether you're in something at the moment or whether something's coming or whether you've just come out of something there is a greater storm brewing the storm of god's justice And no one will be able to stand in that unless they are standing on the rock of Jesus Christ. Unless he is our anchor. The call, the instruction of David in verse 8. To trust him at all times you people. Pour out your heart before him for God is a refuge for us. So put your trust in him. Humble yourself before him and know his mighty blessing, for he is powerful to save. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your strength. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed our rock and our salvation. Give us, we pray, more faith. Faith to believe, faith to trust, faith to silently wait for you and for your deliverance. Grant us, we pray, refuge in the storm. May we see the hope of eternity before us. May we know your power. Your mercy and love. May we know your blessing. May we know your strength. May we know the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we be strengthened in faith and hope in him. In his precious name we ask. Amen.